People walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Oh, come. Let's worship the Lord. Hymn number 208. pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for the, the privilege that's ours today to come together and to sing songs of uh, your coming into the world and to reflect on what it means to us 
Father, I pray that in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle and the family get-togethers and the gifts and, and that are given and received and the, and the heartache and the sadness and the loneliness and all the other things that go with this season, Lord, this hour, may we focus our attention on you and love you and adore you and receive from you a grace and truth which Jesus came to bring us. Be with us in this hour. By your spirit, work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Glad that you came this morning. Never know what to expect on Christmas morning, but uh, this is good. I want to just tell you what we're doing and why we're doing it, and then we'll just do it without a lot of uh, introduction. I've kind of divided uh, the whole Christmas event into four things today. Predictions of Jesus' birth and then the birth of Jesus, and then the announcements of his birth, and then the significance of it uh, even till today. And so in each of these, we're going to have uh, reading or readings, and then we're going to sing. Sometimes, like the first one, we'll sing just one, uh, one song. We've sung a lot of things about the uh, coming, the expectation, and the predictions of Jesus' birth. But then others will sing several songs. Now, what happens is in Christmas carols is all of these things are all put together in one carol. You know, there's the first verse is about the expectation that Jesus is born, and then the, the shepherds and the angels. And, well, I've kind of tried to divide that out, and so that we'll do a lot of sing one verse or two verses and then move to another song because we're thinking about this particular thing, the, the, the prediction, the coming, uh, uh, the, the announcements, whatever it is. And um, I've got some readers, and I thank you readers for coming. I'm not going to say a lot about these as we go, I'll just ask you to come. Um, I would just remind you that we are, are taking an offering this morning. You don't see the plate being passed, but for New Way Ministries, which now also includes the Great Expectations work, I think of the, the uh, uh, pregnant uh, uh, girls, and uh, that offering will be put in the, in the wooden box by the door there, if you'll remember that as you go out. So we're going to start with... Uh, predictions of Jesus' birth, and I've asked Ben and Hillary Gibson to come and read first Old Testament readings from the prophet Isaiah, and then New Testament reading from, from Luke. And let's, uh, let's hear God's word. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A reading from the book of Luke. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, 
a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The day came when that birth was to take place. We're going to ask Leah Gibson to come and read that short passage that records that, and then we'll sing about it. And this first hymn that we sing is, uh, I think, less familiar. So, Bethany, would you play? And we're only sing one stanza of it. Uh, would you just play that through before we sing? Leah. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and then everyone went to their own town to register. 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them.
So much of the Christmas story has to do with the announcement of what has happened, for it happened rather quietly and obscurely. So we have announcement, uh, the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. We have the announcement of the shepherds uh, to everyone they see after that. And in fact, the announcement keeps going on. So we have one non-so-called -so Christmas song here that talks about the announcement even today. So Trisha is going to come and read about the announcements that we find in Luke 2. Luke 2, 8 to 18. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them.
Finally, we come to the, uh, think of the significance of this. And uh, in Christmas gift giving, we often see that the greatest treasures are wrapped in some of the smallest packages. Nowhere is that so true as in our text this morning. One little sentence. We call it John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'd like to just meditate on that a minute, just focusing on one thing. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. It's difficult to overstate the, the magnitude of that statement. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, Bruce Milne wrote, this statement is one of the most significant and memorable statements ever penned. The Word became flesh. Clearly when the Apostle John wrote of the Word, he's speaking of the Lord. He knows, we know this because this is the way he began his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, just like in Genesis. In the beginning, God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That only makes this a more significant statement. That God, the Word, became flesh. Now the Greeks also had a very lofty view of the concept of the Word, the Logos. It was a philosophical concept of deity which they liked to discuss. But in their wildest imaginations, the word could never become flesh. Of course, John was not writing out of a Greek, uh, as a Greek philosopher. John had been formed by the Hebrew scriptures. But the scriptures view of God is way more exalted than the Greeks view of their gods. For example, in Hosea 11, 9, we read, I am God and not man. Still as incredible as it might sound, John declares, the word became flesh. Notice he did not say the word became a man. The word became human. The word became a body. He said the word became flesh. That's a startling word here. It's not a lofty word for mankind. It's a word that's also used of animals. Indeed, it's the crudest word that the Apostle John could have used. It has an earthy, bloody, weak, vulnerable overtone. Already in the early church, people were having trouble with this description of Jesus. The early docetists we're willing to have God taking the appearance of humanity. But to speak of him actually becoming human flesh, suffering, weak, vulnerable, tempted, well, that was unthinkable to them. It must be an illusion. God only looking like a man, seeming to have a body. 
But the Holy Spirit will not let us believe such a thing. He makes it crystal clear for us right here. The Word became flesh. And that's the consistent testimony of the New Testament. In Hebrews 2, we read, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He had to be made like his brothers in every way. And later in chapter 4, we read, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. The word became flesh. Then he goes on to say, he made his dwelling among us. Literally, John is saying he pitched his tent among us. Here again, we see emphasized the earthy fleshiness of Christ's appearance. Let me illustrate. We have people living in tents these days. Tent cities in every town. Those are not the people we think of as royalty or something. Illustration from my own personal personal experience, you know, for a lot of years I flew airplanes with the Air Force. If you were in the Air Force, you probably don't like pilots that much. It has something to do with their persistent belief that they're better than everyone else. And it's true. I, I remember an Army infantry officer I knew while I was a pilot in the Air Force. He and his platoon had crawled through the swamps of Vietnam until their clothes rotted off their backs. But the pilots, that didn't make him a hero. He was a grunt. <laughs> a soldier who lived in a tent, crawled around in the mud. Folks, our text says, God, the eternal word, pitched his tent among us. He came in the flesh to live in the mud as a grunt. Don't ever think that God doesn't care or that he doesn't understand what real life is about. Jesus has been there. He didn't just sit in his lofty heaven surrounded by opulence, oblivious to the pain and suffering of the world. He became part of it. The word became flesh. He grew up having to learn in the school of hard knocks and skinned knees. He got hurt. He got tired. He knew what it was to love and be loved. He also knew what it was to love and be hated in return. He felt rejection from family and enemies alike. He had his friends and family members die. He cried in grief. He was tempted to sin. He bled and winced from the pain. He suffered and he died an agonizing death. But God raised him from the dead, proving that this man in the flesh, Jesus, was also the eternal word, the Son of God, who suffered such humiliation for only one purpose, that he might save us in our distress. This Christmas morning, I hold before you the God-man, Jesus. He's not half and half, part God and part man. 
He is fully God and at the same time fully man. He is the Word made flesh. So why did it have to be that way? Why couldn't Jesus just appear as a glorious angel coming near the earth, not really associating with the dirtiness of it, and, and, and perhaps wave a golden scepter over the earth and pronounce it all cleansed? Or, or, or why couldn't it be like the docetists thought, Jesus just appearing to have humanity, but staying aloof from it, just appearing and close enough to pronounce us forgiven? Why did it have to be this way? Well, in the 11th century, a church leader named Anselm grappled with that question and eventually explained for us why our Redeemer had to be God and man. Let me share his explanation. We all know that mankind has sinned. All of us have sinned. We have incurred guilt, a debt before God, which is our responsibility, man's responsibility to pay. And most everybody will admit we've sinned. We just tend to think it's not so serious because everybody's done it and my sin hasn't been that bad. But Anselm went on to point out that the seriousness of our sin is not determined by who we are, who did the sinning. It's determined by who was sinned against. The size of the debt we owe is not determined by what we did. It's determined by the God to whom we did it. If you think about it, we know that's true. A few years ago, someone drove through a migrant camp down here on the pole road and fired a bunch of gun, gunshots and terrorized the people and took off. And no one was hurt, and I don't know that anyone was ever caught. But if they had caught that person, he probably would have served a few months in prison. But about the same time, I remember, in Washington, D.C., a man sprayed bullets at the White House. He was caught and he was charged with attempted murder of the president. And I suspect it will still be a long time before he's ever out of prison. Why was one crime so much more serious than the other? What's the difference? Well, this was Anselm's point. The seriousness of the crime is determined by the person sinned against, not who did the sin. So we, finite, limited people, have sinned against an infinite, immense, holy God. And therefore, we have incurred an infinite debt a debt that's only ours, but a debt that we could not possibly pay, given all of eternity we could ever pay, an infinite, unlimited debt. Man has a God-sized debt. So according to Anselm, our only hope is for a Savior to appear who is truly man, therefore eligible to be our substitute and pay the debt but at the same time, truly God, and therefore able to pay a God-sized debt. 
this morning I proclaim to you just such a person. The Word, God, very God, the Eternal One, became flesh. A man like us. Only this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, is able to save us from our sin. Only his death on the cross is sufficient to satisfy God for our guilt. This morning I call you to trust him, to entrust your life and your soul to him, and call upon him, asking him to take away the debt that you cannot pay. This morning, if you are already trusting him, I give you this assurance. He is indeed enough. In fact, only he is enough. So rest in him. Secure. He is able to keep you to the end. The word who became flesh. Amen. Oh, Father, most of us have heard this since we were children. And yet if we think about it, we cannot really get our minds around it. Thank you, Lord, for your servant Anselm who helped us to think clearly about it and to realize the situation that we're in is so hopeless apart from the Savior you have provided. May we trust you, rest in you, have no hope but you, give our lives to you. Thank you for this good news proclaimed by the angels and proclaimed by the shepherds and made be proclaimed by us to the whole world that needs to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing again, number 213.
which we'll stand for the benediction. And then uh, we're going to sing, instead of the doxology, we're going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And you should have a copy of it uh, that you picked up back there. If not, run back and grab one. And a uh, reminder of the offering box by the door. Let's stand for the benediction. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Hallelujah.
the best. Middle one, one. 